I think exploring and taking risks is a really important part of adolescence. Adolescents get a lot of negative press for doing risky things that maybe don't always have the best outcomes, but there's lots of risks like adventuring and trying out new things that that you need, I think, yeah. to develop, to sort of get the most out of life and find new opportunities. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Emma. Uh, hello Emma. Hello. <laughs> and I was just saying to you off mic that this is sort of, for me, one of the... the, the the most unusual conversations that I've had because I really don't the first time I've met you at all uh was like 15 minutes ago yeah <laughs> and that's going to make the first question an interesting answer from you so I might have to answer it in a way but <laughs> the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me I can try and answer I think yeah, it's more it's almost just getting acquainted rather than better right acquainted yeah right in this instance, right, right. But, that's right um, Basically, um, we got introduced on the medium of Twitter yes. by a mutual acquaintance colleague called Steve, who I met for the first time quite a few years ago as part of Bright Club, which is one of UCL's public engagement events. And he connected us together due to a mutual interest and love for the Moomins. Yeah, that's right. And so, then this happened. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, so I know Steve Cross. Through, I do a night called Stand Up Tragedy and he does a various nights, Bright mm-hmm. Club being one of them, but he also does Science Show Off and Geek Show Off yeah. and stuff like that. And so I've booked him for a few of my nights and he booked me for Geek Show Off earlier this year, like last month. And the thing that I decided to talk about was the Moomins. So he saw me do this kind of talk. I think he was expecting me to be, because I do Stand Up Tragedy, I think he was expecting it to be like a really depressing end. Like he didn't know what I was going to do. It might be really dark. So he like, he left me to the end so I didn't alienate the audience. But then I did a, like a really positive, everybody should read the Moomins kind of um, from the heart thing. And he said, you should get in touch with Emma because she did a, a really excellent thing about the Moomins and neuroscience. And I guess, was that at Bright Club? Is that what it Yeah, was? that was at Bright Club. So that's how how we first met. The the Moomins, I wasn't really supposed to be talking about the Moomins. It was kind of like the the power of a stage and a microphone got the better of me. So I decided to infiltrate my talk with Moomins as much as possible. So you you had you planned to put the Moomins in or did that? Yeah, I had planned, but it wasn't really what I was supposed to be talking about. Okay. (laughs) I was just like, well, I was like, this might be the only chance I ever get to speak in public with a microphone. So I'm going to tell everyone about the Moomins. Well, that's something I really think. It's an important campaign that public awareness of the Moomins needs to be raised. Yeah, I mean, well, that's similar similar to... um, I mean, when I sort of was, when I sort of like said I'd do Geek Show Off, there was no topic decided. And so I was sort of umming and ahhing, should I do about podcasting and all of that stuff? But I thought, no, none of that. Because I think like the word geek, for me, like, it's about what you love in a way. Yeah. It's about what you really love. And I really love the moon. So hopefully this is, this, this means that we have a, a mutual interest. And 
we'll talk about the Moomins more in a moment, but I'll ask you the second question okay. that I ask everyone first, which is, what do you do now? Now, I'm a PhD student. When I originally met Steve, I was a research assistant, and now I'm doing a PhD. So I'm doing a PhD at UCL, so University College London, and it's on mental health, which is the broad kind of subject. Okay. Where we are today is the Institute of Cognitive Neuroscience, so that's where I'm now based, and it's a bit sketchy at the moment in terms of precisely what I'm doing, but the department I work in is the Blakemore Lab, or the Developmental Cognitive Neuroscience Lab, and what they look at is adolescent brain development and adolescent social cognition. They largely, on the whole, look at that within healthy adolescents. I know the group leader, Sarah Jane Blakemore, because I used to work with her. And so, because I'm interested in mental health, we're going to try and combine them. <laughs> Still trying to exactly get that at the moment as to exactly how that will pan okay. out. But that's kind of what I do now. You were worried that we wouldn't fill an hour. I reckon it's going to be really hard to oh, fit right. it into okay. an hour, I <laughs> Well, let's go back to the Moomins now, and then we'll, we'll come back to some yeah. science later <laughs> on, yeah. So, so when did the Moomins come into your life? As a child, no one really introduced them to me. I was, I, I was a big reader when I was a kid. Sadly, I don't really read anymore now, which I think is quite sad, but I was a bit of a Matilda. I used to go get all the books out of the library, and I used to get the Moomin books out over and over again and read them, to the point that my mum recently asked me what the Moomins were, and I was like... Where were you in my childhood? So it certainly wasn't a case of like my parents reading them to me or anything. Yeah, so you found them for yourself. I did find them for that's myself. That's kind of a, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an appropriately Moomin-ish uh, yeah, thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Very Moomin. Yeah, so that was kind of my adventure. Wow, I mean, because I mean, yeah, I, I, I had the Moomins read to me as a kid by my parents. I don't know when they got into them. They're quite kind of bohemian and hippie family which is one of the reasons i quite identify with toby jansen's like life experience as well as the books that she okay. wrote so it was I, I was young yeah the right age for the moments but there is no right age. i for was the gonna say well, right? stop right there yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean that's always the right age well that's the, the thing <laughs> i mean it's definitely one of those children's books which are really just for children some people i know who i don't agree with either sort of say oh they're not really for children because they're too they're too a bunch about adult things but that is not true they're they're perfect for everyone. For, yeah right they're perfect for everyone multi-layered yeah like, <laughs> there's people in my life that i have introduced the moomins to as adults and they have come to love them so for sure well, those are the success stories anyway <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it yeah it's they they speak to really kind of profound philosophical and sort of emotional things that are, are there for, for your entire life yeah and in fact i think when I go back to the Moomins as an adult, I learn new things. I see new things in them than I did when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, so how, how old were you when you started reading the Moomins then, do you reckon? I'm not sure. I wouldn't want to say. I mean, I'm probably maybe like seven or yeah, I think old enough is... to be able to read the books and like, right. like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how old I was either. I think Eight, it's. Nine. I think when you're a kid, you don't have a sense of age in the same way. I, I mean, maybe when you're... I don't know, actually. Mm. I work with kids under five and they're always really obsessed with how old Eight. they are. But... But I think you sort of lose a sense of it anyway when you get older, when you look back. I mean, I, I moved house a lot to different areas of the country oh, um, when I was a kid. So I can always pin, I can pinpoint most things to an age bracket because I base it on 
where was I when that happened? Right. And I know the dates, I like, I know the dates of when I lived in each area. So if I can remember the house, then I can at least say, oh, well, it was between the age of 10 and 12. Yeah, so I'm, I'm like that's that. That's about as close as I can narrow it down. Usually. I'm like that. Although I'm not, as good at, I'm not as good as you in terms of knowing the exact dates. I can sort of say, like, between the age of uh, 8 and 12, I was in Coventry, or between the age of 3 and 8, I was in North Wales and stuff yeah. like that. But, yeah. Uh, that's interesting that we both moved around. I wonder if that is something that that, that relates to why the Moomin speaks. I mean, what what I guess what's your what characters are the ones that speak to you the most in the Moomins? There is definitely a sense of a lot of wandering right. in the Moomins, especially. I mean, Snufkin, Snufkin right? The he's my he's my guy. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if there was ever like. I mean, I think well, my I have favourite characters, but I don't think it's necessarily the same as identifying with them. Right. Moom and Papa is probably my favourite, but I'm also a big fan of the Hattie Fatteners. They're eight, also because the word is a great word. Yeah. And I yeah, I just like the the Moomins are probably, but I do like Snufkin. Yeah. As well. I mean, well, I like. I think. I mean, I relate to all of them. It's, it's, it's like you don't want to choose between your children. Yeah. But I mean, I think Snufkin and Little Maya are my. Uh, Ah, see, I'm more of a, that I relate to more into the actual moomins. The actual in, family. By, by the, yeah, the race species. <laughs> the species, I don't know. yeah. <laughs> no, I think they're my favourite. Like, they're quite clumsy, but adventurous. And I guess, yeah, I guess I can identify with that, really. I think I'm, I've, yeah, I mean, I, I, I said in my talk uh, that I did for Steve, I think, like, even though I want to be Snufkin, I think I probably am moomin troll. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, that's just the way it's gone for me but yeah I guess we should set up for people listening who haven't turned off yet because we haven't explained what the movements are uh, what the movements are um I did actually I I tried to remember how I defined them when I gave the talk before I did write it down somewhere because I was like I wanted to get the the proper kind of definition but they are they are small white roundish creatures that live in Moomin Valley, obviously, yeah. in Moomin House, which is in the forests of Finland. People sometimes confuse them with hippopotami. Yeah, they look a bit like hippos. And that really right. angers me. But um, <laughs> Why does it anger you? Because it, it means they don't know what the Moomins are. Right, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so it's like a sign, oh no, this person does not know It thinks it's a hippo, right. so... That's really sad that they don't know what a moomin is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that when they when they see see the knitted moomin papa on mm. the on, on your table, they go, "Oh, there's a, a hippo in a hat." Right? Yeah. And then I'm just like, and then that's like that's that, that's not my identity. That's just right. that really upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they, I mean they were written by Tove Jansen, who is a was a Finnish artist and author who had a complicated life in lots of ways. She moved about a lot, mm. I think, and, and 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 was very much like her characters. I mean, although she wrote herself into Moomin Valley in November, I think uh, Toft is meant to be her. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to describe what is unique about the Moomins as books, I think. Like, I find it hard to, mm. to do. Because when, when you say, oh, it's about these little creatures, it makes people think that, that, that like, I don't know, it makes it sound like it's a simple a simple story or like a cute story i guess and i'm not saying the moomins aren't cute they are cute but, but it's quite it can be quite dark in places right. as well I, I think i like that yeah. this kind of cuteness and darkness yeah. together i don't know they they make lots of mistakes they do they i don't know it's it's not cute like you kind of watch them screw up and then but it's usually okay yeah but they have to figure it out to make it okay yeah for sure and and the I think the the thing about the, the stories is as well that they they don't happen 
as a straightforward linear narrative. It's much no. more like they go off on tangents. Yeah. Or they go, you know, one chapter they're just doing something completely irrelevant to the main plot, but somehow it all kind of fits together at the end. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's like, and, and that's quite an unusual kind of way of telling a story, I think. So for me, it, that's one of the things that mm. kind of fits with me. And it feels, I don't know, when I was, when it, so my talk was relating the Moomins to kind of, eventually to sort of psychoanalysis to a certain extent or not psychoanalysis that's probably the wrong word but what I think the Moomins do is it takes dangerous scary ideas but it makes them safe like Tova Janssen had complicated family issues Mm. I've got complicated family issues and so it's really nice for those things to not be ignored to be explored but to be explored in this kind of safer safer environment the way you can learn things about them and that's what I that's what I kind of get as an adult from them. I think I got it as a child. No, I think that definitely resonates. Because, like, and, like, Moom and Mama is always this, like, figure of safety. She's, yeah. like, the safety net. And it's kind of, like, she's always there. She's always welcoming. And, yeah. like, it's kind of, like, you always think, at the end of the day, it's all going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, they always make it back home and to a warm bed. Yeah. And, it's usually okay in the end, so... And I think, like, well, like, little Mai is, like, a screaming, like, id, you know, like, like it, she's just, like, anything she wants, she, like, try, tries to get. Yeah. And, you know, that's that sort of thing, being there and being explored, is... is uh, and the groke is the other big thing, I think, that's interesting, like, because the groke is, like, death, but a character and... Like the, in, it's, I think it's Moominland Midwinter where you realise that the Grove just wants to be loved and just wants to be kind of comforted but yeah. can't be. And that's really sad and you suddenly feel sad for this scary creature that all of the other characters have been scared of. I'm doing a lot of gestures that are, are not audio. <laughs> it seems, but ho- hopefully they come across in my tone yeah. of voice. But who are the Hattie Fatners? They're like little... Well, I'm, I'm not actually sure if they're animals or vegetable because they... They're like animals and they move, but they grow from seeds. So, yeah, that's kind of another issue. But there's loads of them and they, they don't speak. They move around, usually on boats, and they're obsessed with the weather. They like to measure the weather. And in one of the books, Moomin Papa almost has, like, well, I don't like to say midlife crisis, but he, he wants to go out and ex- he goes off to explore some, like, big questions that he sets for himself. And one of them is he wants to find out who the Hattie Fatteners are. I think it's called, like, the mystery or the secret of the Hattie Fatteners. And he, he, like, develops these different theories about them and he wants to research what they're doing and why they like the lightning and he comes up with all these theories oh sorry I said they like the weather but particularly lightning Um, when lightning happens they glow and become electric yeah Um, and he has a theory that they can only feel emotions or something when when lightning happens but you never really find out if his theory is Is correct correct, which I quite like yeah but that's his theory Oh, that's interesting. I mean, that makes a lot of sense of why that that, that Moomin Papa and the Hattie Fatness would would would, would appeal to you as a scientist. Uh, like, oh yeah, that's, that's true. Seems, that's, well, yeah, that is. Interesting. Although I don't really think of myself as a scientist, so that's quite funny. But, um, well, I, yeah, I don't think Moomin Papa thinks of himself as no, a scientist either. But he's always sort of trying to work things out. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, and the Hattie the Hattie Fatness are, are, are kind of they're in their own world, aren't they? They're they're un, unconcerned. 
to I mean they're they're in the same world but they're not they don't care about the Moomins or any of that stuff they're just going about their business they just care about their barometer right 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 and they're dangerous in 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 lightning storms because they become electric yeah as uh, the Hemulin finds uh, to his cost and a few people do in fact yeah. Find their cast, I think. The Hackney factors are a bit sort of scary though, as well, like because they're so because they don't speak and they're all kind of uniform and they look sort of. Oh, but they're cute though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think they're quite cool. But... No, I think they're cool too. I mean, and I, I mean, I quite like things that are scary though. For me, anyway, the story is important, but I think I'm really most drawn to the artwork side. Ah, actually. okay. Um, I think that's probably what I originally liked about it. Yeah. Because um, they're all illustrated by the author. And they are. Some of the original artwork is like, oh, I, I, I just really like it. I like to draw movements as well. They're, they're very nice to draw. <laughs> they, yeah, I can, um, I, can, I can understand that. Yeah. And, and, and the colour the colouring's really brightly coloured mm. as well in an, in an interesting way. I really like the art in the movements as well. Your talk originally that you kind of grafted the movements onto, what was it supposed to be about? Well, if I remember correctly, the theme was actually building. And when Steve approached me, I was like, well, I'm not an engineer. Why do you want me to talk on a thing on building? So I already had to kind of graft it quite a bit to fit in adolescents and adolescent brains in there anyway. So I was kind (laughs) of being like, neurons are the building blocks of the brain. (laughs) So it was already quite... Tenuous, so I was like, "Well, it's already so tenuous. I might as well just throw some movements in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, it'll be too late when I'm on the stage." So, and how did they fit? Sometimes there was a link. Other times, I just talked about the movements. So I used images and stories about the movements very briefly because the movements are quite adventurous and they do take risks and stuff. And I think exploring and taking risks is a really important part of adolescence. Um, Adolescents get a lot of negative press for doing risky things that maybe don't always have the best outcomes. But there's lots of risks like adventuring and trying out new things that that you need, I think, to develop, to sort of get the most out of life and find new opportunities. So I think as the movements are quite... They're quite risky, but there's, as you said earlier, there's this safety. So in the movements, they go out, they have their adventures, they take risks, but then they go home and have a nice cup of coffee on an early night and it's all fine. So I I was kind of saying that we've never been able to scan a movement's brain, sadly. I'd like to do that, but um, there's there's a few challenges there, like reality challenges (laughs) and some other (laughs) things. But I was kind of hypothesising, like, what we might find if we looked at Moomin brain development. So, yeah, it was, it was a bit silly and well, tenuous. That, <laughs> that, that works for me. I mean, I can see why Steve thought that, that, that we should talk, because I think it sounds like our talks were going in similar directions, although mine's more from the philosophy side and yours is more from the, the, the sort of science side in, in, that, in that direct comparison. Yeah. Adolescent brains... I mean, that's a fascinating subject to everybody, I, sh- I hope, because we've all been adolescents, or we will be adolescents if we're yeah. really young. But uh, why, why adolescent brains? What, 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 why have you got to this point? <laughs> well, it's not really just me. It's kind of, I suppose, science yeah. in general. Right. Um, so in terms of looking at like neural development and like development of the brain... Until quite recently, it used to be thought that it was just kind of the first few years of life that were important. So the general consensus was it was the the early years when the brain was doing all the development. And that's partly because we just didn't know 
we didn't know more. So since things like MRI scans, so magnetic resonance imaging, like brain scanners have been invented, we can now actually look at brain development in people of different ages. And then we found out that actually there's parts of the brain that are still changing really drastically until about, well, on average about age 24. So it means that it's much more interesting to sort of study people past childhood. Okay, so scientifically then, adolescence kind of ends at 24 then in a way you could say that it's actually it's one of the things that's always a challenge because adolescence has got like quite a vague yeah when is it one of the definitions that's given which is a more social one is you can define it as the period of life between the onset of puberty and the achievement of a stable independent role in society okay so some people some people (laughs) so that means that some people yeah yeah, maybe don't ever (laughs) reach that i don't know but yeah the brain carries on developing until quite late you're right to say it's not just due to science we're now at the stage where we're starting to map the brain right we're starting to have an idea but we're still a long way from fully understanding the brain right I think so. Yeah, because we're finding all of these new things out, it really does seem to be that like every sciencey thing that is out there is often linking it back to neuroscience. Mm. It's the place to be, I guess, at this moment. Yeah, I think, I mean, sometimes that can be a bad thing because sometimes I think things get linked back to neuroscience because it's the place to be. Right. And it's maybe not necessarily the most appropriate link. But it is interesting, and I think a lot of why there's so much neuroscience happening at the moment is because new technologies just make it possible to do. So it used to be that you could only sort of look at like post-mortem brains and um, a lot more difficult to study things. You don't know much from from a post-mortem brain in a way because it's not functioning in any way. Yeah, I mean, you can learn quite a lot from them, but not everything. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, all of the Patty Fattner-ish elements of the brain, the electric currents have stopped in the dead brain. What is the adolescent brain like then? It's a big Um, question. So different parts of the brain develop at different rates. So like parts of the brain that are involved in stuff like vision and seeing, they kind of finish, well no, finish is the bad word because the brain continues to change for all of your life, but they reach a mature stage a lot earlier on. There's an area of the brain that me and my research group and lots of people are really interested in, and that's the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of the brain that's like, it's right at the very front. Yeah, right, right. We're, at the we're very holding front. our head on the oh, front of our heads. Our heads. Yeah. yeah, that's like my instant reaction. Yeah. Whenever I'm in a talk and I say prefrontal cortex, I kind of hit myself yeah. on the forehead. That part of the brain is one of the later regions. So that one does carry on developing until kind of the 20s. And that's really interesting, in my opinion, because we know from like other areas of science and neuroscience that that part of the brain is in everyone that's associated with the really kind of complex and more higher level functions and processes so a really really wide range of things but it involves social cognition so social processing it's involved in a whole broad term of things called executive functions and that's stuff like planning and decision making inhibiting inappropriate responses and behaviors um, problem solving complex thinking and reasoning so, like, all of the really difficult things are going on there. So it's, it's quite an interesting area of the brain to study. The science here sort of fits, to my mind, with the kind of observations you can make of 
teenage behavior to a certain extent like if i look at my own teenage or the teenage of, of you know teenagers i know now they take more risks and stuff like that is there anything that's kind of contradicting what we think about teenage experience in what in what's going on i think to be honest there's still quite a lot that we don't know I'm always quite wary of making kind of statements about teenagers as a whole because right. I do feel that, like, particularly that teenagers do get kind of lumped together as a group and almost demonised right. sometimes. So I don't, I don't want to do that because I think everyone is different. I think actually, yeah, teenagers are kind of known for being like riskier per se, but I don't think it's, and a lot of scientists don't think it's as simple as just being more risky it's it's about the kind of risks Different that are risky, involved right? um, yeah. and that's what's that's what's important so our lab are really interested in how social factors and social context interact with risks and the kind of risks that you take so within adolescence like social factors become really important and they're more significant as a factor in the decision making process and yeah. if you kind of think about when you're weighing up a decision if kind of what your friends think about you or being included within a social group, if that's a really important thing to you at that moment in time, then actually almost some of the decisions seem like the logical choice to take. If you think about it kind of through the eyes of an adolescent, it's not necessarily as irrational as right, you might think. Right, right, because, right. like, if they're weighing up, like, I don't know, I could smoke this cigarette now, which might have a negative which will probably have a negative consequence on my health one day versus if I don't then I might get excluded from this group of friends and it's really important for me to have this group of friends at the moment and then it's easy to see which choice seems like the bigger risk actually maybe the risk of (laughs) the risk of being excluded socially could be just as damaging right through so I think it's I think it's complex to understand adolescence. Well, I mean, that's always my instinct when we when when talking because I mean I had quite a troubled teenage years in some ways. I was quite bullied and stuff, and you know, I've known many teenagers in my life who've had tr- troubled times as well. My instinct always as an adult is to sort of think, well, let's not just write off people for these behaviours. Let's try and work out why. Let's like yeah. try and empathise with the conditions socially, right? So mm. I'm coming at it from the point of view of, of looking at the social structure and saying, well, you can understand why they're making the, those decisions because of this structure around them. And it sounds like what you're sort of saying is that there might be sort of scientific elements as well that are, are even more affecting how we should empathise with them if they have got those areas of the brain that are still forming. You're doing a PhD, so you haven't kind of... You're still in the process of analysing the data, right? In terms of my PhD specifically, I still need to collect some data. Right. I've been kind of working in UCL for about three and a half years, a while. And I have bits of data from different things that I'm also currently working on. And they're in, in kind of a few different fields. So I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment. Right. That's that's tends to be what I'm doing a lot of yeah. at the moment. And then the next thing is to design some new tasks and get some new data. That's the next step, really. What are you sort of hoping to, to discover or hoping to sort of further? Because it's not necessarily that you'll have a big conclusion. It might be that you're just looking at an area, right? And I, I've got friends who are doing PhDs, but I, I have never done one myself. I think, you know, science is a very collaborative process. You work together to keep inching forward, yeah. understanding. Hopefully I might 
make a few inches, but I think that's kind of right. that tends to be how it works. Yeah. So. But I mean, are you putting forward a hypothesis and testing it? This is. Um, I will be. No, I will. I will. Abilities. I will be doing that. I so far need to kind of decide on what those hypotheses are going to be. So okay. I don't have any interesting hypotheses to tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, hypotheses will be involved. And they will be tested. <laughs> I mean, and I understand that a PhD is a very intense thing to do. So a lot of my friends say it is. Um, oh, don't tell me that. Well, I. <laughs> Well, you're, you, you, do you find it intense? I mean, well, it's it's still quite early days for me, right. but um, I'm told that it's that it's going to be intense, which is, I hope it's not too intense. Well, I think different people will experience it yeah. differently. I don't <laughs> want to put you off the idea. No, um, yeah, I guess so. I I tend to think of it as kind of a bit like work. Really, well, yeah. That just want to do research basically so that tends to be how I think about it maybe I should be thinking about it more differently maybe I should be more stressed but um... I don't think you should no <laughs> one should be more stressed yeah, that's, that's always true. a bad idea yeah they, the movements wouldn't agree with yeah, that right. kind of theory so yeah the yeah. the movements would just potter on and then yeah. the PhD would be done the PhD would be <laughs> it would be an adventure exactly <laughs> yeah so yes yeah, no, as it should be. I mean, and research, like, how did you come to want to research? Things? That is a good question. Um, <laughs> it was it was actually a very Moomin-like tale in that there were a lot of diversions and um, I didn't kind of set out looking to end up in research necessarily. I don't know, I guess you figure these things out as you go along. I did my undergraduate degree in psychology and when I finished that, I wanted to get as far away from that as I possibly could right. and I wasn't really sort of thinking about research at that point I think I'd kind of had academia overdose a little bit yeah. so I went and worked in a haberdashery and a knitting shop for Excellent. a bit and then after a little while I started to apply for jobs that sounded interesting within kind of psychology or related to it and I got a job here as a researcher and actually I really I really enjoyed research. I'd done research before as part of my undergraduate degree I did a research placement for a year at the same time as I was studying and I really enjoyed that but I think I didn't notice how much I enjoyed it within the background of exams and everything else so it wasn't until I was kind of just back doing research that I thought oh this is actually interesting Yeah. and I've kind of just stayed yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I guess research is an adventure as well because you're you're sort of setting out to discover something, but you don't know where you're going to end up, right? Yeah, I think so. And so that kind of fits with the the Moomin theme in some ways. Did you choose to end up looking at adolescent brains? Were you moving towards an interest, or is that somewhere you found your boat has has, has taken you to? <laughs> um, and I don't think I think a bit of both. Yeah. I think originally, originally you could say that the boat <laughs> went. <laughs> so I that's that was what I was doing in the first job that I had. Uh, well, the only paid job I've had in research, and I just found it really fascinating as an area. My my interests have always been like uh, predominantly mental health. That's probably my sort of key interest. Adolescence is really interesting to study from that point of view because I think it's about seventy five percent of adult mental health um, disorder has its onset before the age of twenty four. Mm. So it's really interesting sort of phase to look at. And as a lot I, of people find that it's 
when their adolescence starts as, as well as like mm. that's a significant thing on in relation to their mental health I no think. I think definitely and and I kind of learned I learned when I was sort of working in healthy adolescent cognitive and like neural development that just kind of how young that field was and how we're still kind of learning about it and uh, the thing is, it, I mean, it would be great to look at how kind of, and people are beginning to start to look at how changes in adolescence relate to mental health. But until you have an idea of what typical development looks like, you can't make any comparisons. Right. So that's kind of how I ended up in a roundabout way, thinking that this is a really interesting phase of life to look at. And how do you how do you how do you work out if somebody is healthy to study them being healthy, right? Because that seems like it's a, a, a quite a complicated yeah, uh, that's, thing, right? Yeah, that's a question in itself. Um, <laughs> depends whether you're going from a philosophical point of view right. or... Yeah, I mean, it, it, depends on, it depends on the research that you're doing. I mean, it needs to be fairly specific, and it does vary. That's one of the problems, is that different people do use different criteria. Right. So I suppose if I say... If I say healthy, you, I mean, you could loosely say somebody who somebody who doesn't have a diagnosis of a mental health condition okay. you could be more conservative and you would actually screen everyone in case they have one and they they're not aware right. of it but then that can open up kind of ethical cans of worms but then there's some like some there's going to be some people who are undiagnosed with mental health issues and there probably are going to be some people who may have a diagnosis which is incorrect yeah right yes <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I'm not saying... No, know, that's, that's the, that's that's the, the problem, minefield right? yeah. of... And, and that is part of the thing with using categorical diagnoses, which is how how the kind of psychiatric diagnosis system exists, that if you're looking at things that kind of do happen on more of a continuous basis, but the, the diagnoses are categorical, with a category there has to be a cut-off, and then you're going to have two people who fall either side, side of that right. cut off that are quite similar to each other yeah. but one has a, has a yes and one has a no right. so then you can look at kind of doing research using more continuous measures but then there's the argument that is that helpful if the system is set up so that people are diagnosed categorically maybe right. you should so you can kind of it can get a bit circular and you some of the right. or, and some of the diagnosis processes are subject like there's an element of subjectivity like it, it it's not like you're counting beans and you can find out exactly how many beans the person has right it's they they answer questions about how they feel and different people might have different interpretations of the words in those sentences or whatever sometimes I mean mm-hmm. there are like I I don't know I know many people with diagnosis of mental health issues and I also know people like myself who haven't got a diagnosis, but I'm pretty sure that that's just well, that's part mostly because I don't go to the doctors. <laughs> um, but 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 I mean, I've I've had cognitive behavioural therapy yeah. and things like that, um, and the, on the NHS. So there's an element of them that considering me to have a diagnosis, yeah. but there's not been a formal. Uh, this is what you are. Here's your stamp. You have an identity now. Oh, you thing, might have a diagnosis I'm, and you don't, cool don't even know about it. What? Like. It might be just on your medical records. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't know if they That's... necessarily have to tell you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't actually know how that works. Yeah. So, um, who knows? Maybe. That's interesting. So, like, so yeah. What attracted you to the idea of of mental health then? Like, what, 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 
What, um, what brought you there? <laughs> not sure exactly. Well, I guess oh, it's, uh, all the reasons are going to sound really cliche, but it's just it is just a cause of so much suffering and unhappiness yeah. that I guess I've always wanted to work in a way that would help people. I'm sure lots of people do. I originally wanted to become a doctor and then I discovered in secondary school that I will always faint at the sight of blood. <laughs> so after trying to overcome this, I decided that it was probably not going to be the career for me. Then I looked into psychiatry and realised that you have to do a medical degree so I axed that one from the list as well and then ended up doing psychology but that was that was still actually quite late because before that I wanted to do fine art so in my movement adventure of many turns I was planning on doing fine art and then changed my mind and ended up doing psychology and now I do science which if I could go back in time and tell my adolescent self that I think they would be very shocked because I remember being outraged at school that science GCSE was compulsory and I tried to get out <laughs> of taking it because I hated I hated science was probably what my teenage self would say. So oh, I think they would be appalled if they could look forward and see me in the future. So. Yeah. Not just not just doing science, but doing science about the kind of brains that you had when you were that age. Yeah, well, it's all getting a bit now. <laughs> so you said earlier on that you had worked in haberdashery. Yeah, for a did, little while. And you said to me before we started that knitting is something that you're into. Yeah, and that did that was kind of the lasting influence of my stay. And it was a haberdashery and knitting shop. I really enjoyed it. It was very different to studying. I worked there for. A just a few months and I learned so much about haberdashery and knitting in that time which was really interesting because it's the kind of shop where customers can't find anything because it's in Aladdin's cave so people will come in and they'll be like oh I've broken such and such what do I need and you need to be able to be like ah what you need for your problem is this tiny little clip and you need to know where it's located and how to use it so it was it was a good learning experience I'd done some dressmaking before which was how I ended up there. I'd not really done much knitting. My nana had kind of tried to teach me to knit from a child and I'd, and I'd always like learn it and then forget and learn it and forget. So I never really got anywhere. And then when I was there, I decided that I was going to start knitting. I have actually kept it up, which is unusual for me. So <laughs> yeah. And I'm still knitting now, so. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a trendy thing, knitting, these days. Like, yeah. were you knitting before it got cool? Well, I mean, when I, where <laughs> I started uh, knitting was at a very small shop in the middle of nowhere and definitely wasn't a trendy spot to be, I'd say. Our, probably our average customer age was about 72, um, <laughs> which is nothing wrong with that. So, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I guess maybe it's a bit trendy. Um, I'm not knocking it for me. No, it's I mean, fine. I, wear, I, I wear just hats I like and I've doing got a beard, it because so, I'm a really, you know. I'm a really fiddly person. I can't sit still. I have to be doing something. So I, it's really good for me to have something to do with my hands. Yeah, a physical thing. Um, it means that I can like enjoy watching like TV programs that I don't want to watch or something. <laughs> if I, as long as I can like knit. So I like knitting while I watch TV. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people sort of find it to be like I've got a few friends who, who knit and it. 
like almost a sort of spiritual thing like it's like a focus and it's like a like a, ch- a relaxing element like you know that they can kind of like it's a bit like med- it seems to me a little bit like meditation <laughs> for some people yeah I, I've never really thought about it for kind of in that context with me it's more like stopping myself from doing something worse with my with your hands, <laughs> it's right. a good like generation of energy but I, I, I don't know I find it quite I'm quite easily distracted and I do find that I can concentrate on something better if I've got something to do with my hands yeah whether it's doodling or knitting or if I haven't got that then I will start ripping pieces of paper up or fiddling with my hair sure. or like scratching myself or like... right. maybe I should take up knitting I'm quite I can I can be quite fiddly although I'm, I've got that annoying thing that people have where you, it's my life I find my knee you know I start like jiggling my knee like when I'm sitting at a chair whatever yeah. a lot of I think a lot of men do that and it's annoying I wish I didn't do it, but it's because I can't sit still and I've got all this energy and then I try to suddenly find like my knees going up and down like that. Yeah, like, it's actually, it's really good that I'm on this swivelly chair. Yeah, Because it's giving me enough of an outlet <laughs> that you're not having to, people often take things out of my hands because if I didn't have the chair I'd probably be moving everything right. around and like yeah. playing with things. So, um, yeah, yeah the, the chair is quite comforting that I can yeah, it's, quietly swivel to my heart's content. Yeah, it's cool. You've, yeah, you've been very mobile but very but quiet, quiet about <laughs> I've it. I've only is, just noticed is, it now yeah, we're no, talking about it. But it's great. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's, it's, good. it's a good compromise between uh, the sound quality and... Oh, uh, sorry. No, 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 so uh, it's had good sound quality okay, because good. that's a quiet, swivelly thing. It's about time to ask you the last question, but before I do that, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you about coffee because you, you, okay. you mentioned the coffee when I sort of... Because, I don't know, regular listeners will know that I sit down with people and ask them what they'd like to talk about beforehand. Uh, and one of the things you said in that in that list was coffee. I mean, do you have anything to say about coffee? You now you're looking like, just, why no, did I say that? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking adoringly at my coffee cup because you're like, why coffee? And I was just, it's just great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, oh, I don't know. I, I really like coffee. Um, it's tasty. It's... I don't think I would get up in the morning <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. Just I don't know. It's just it's well, physiologically, just nice. it, it, it Psych- helps. With it's that. a physiological <laughs> crutch, a psychological crutch. The thing. It's nice. Moomin's drink it. Moomin's eat pancakes and drink coffee, which is another reason why. And they hibernate. So these yeah. are all kind the of hibernation thing. Awesome always appeals things. to me. I like every every winter. I always think, you know, why aren't mm. I a moomin? Coffee doesn't help you hibernate though. Does keep you awake? Uh, it doesn't really keep me awake. <laughs> um, it? No, I think I don't know. It doesn't really. I can drink it at night, and it doesn't. I'm probably just a bit immune to the effects, but um, yeah. I mean, I, it nice. wakes me up, but I, I think I'm probably the same. I think I can sleep with having yeah. drunk a lot of coffee. Yeah. Yeah, uh, coffee's nice. It is. <laughs> it I mean, smells nice. Yeah. Do you think it's? Do you think like some people think that it smells better than it tastes? I don't know, it smells great, it tastes great. Yeah, it's hard to, it's like, and again, it's like choosing You can always children. smell it. The thing is, you can always smell it when you're tasting it. Right. So. It's never separated. I don't right? know how yeah. you would, oh, no, I'm getting more scientific now. I don't know how you would be able to assess which yeah. is better because you'd have to find a way of tasting it without smelling it. I suppose you could hold your nose or something because that's probably not that difficult. You can never but. taste it without smelling it, but, but you, you can smell, smell it without, without tasting, tasting it. it. So it's a bit of an unfair comparison. Yeah. 
Right, that's good. That's <laughs> finally settled that one. So my weekend plan, <laughs> experimenting with holding my nose and drinking coffee and yeah. I mean, and the, the, the well, in a way, that was may, maybe that's your answer to the last question, but I think that there'll be a slightly different one because the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Which you know could be a project or anything, or it could be an, an idea or a thought or anything like that. Um, well, I think I've probably plugged the movement. Well, between us, I think I we've probably yeah. plugged the movement quite a lot. If you're interested in research, in kind of adolescent brain development, the Blakemore Lab, where I work, has a website. You can take part in a study, so I should probably plug that. Or you can read read more about the research in a much better way than I have tried to describe it. So, yeah, there's papers on there. And is the study... your interest. Is the study the so the studies to that, that people can take part in is for specifically if you're an adolescent or no we we look at children and adults and adolescents because so we usually compare, compare stuff right. so if like you want a brain scan or something like that you can oh. sign up to a database uh, that yeah gets contacted for that kind of thing oh, so I might do that <laughs> I'm quite interested in, <laughs> in having my card, brain, brain scan. But yeah, I yeah I don't know. I forget that that's quite exciting. I, I've been in quite a lot of brain scanners, and they they lose their novelty after a while. <laughs> <laughs> you soon realise you're just in a really really cold room and laying in. It's probably it's the fidgeting yeah. thing. It's my I, worst nightmare because you have to stay still. <laughs> I don't um, like that element of no. it. No way. <laughs> um, and and, and I'm, I get quite claustrophobic, so I don't know why I'm, why I'm attracted to, to, to the idea. Well, I think it's because I I want to know the data at the end of it. Like I want to know. Like I, I'd be interested to see the scans of my own brain. Yeah. I think the actual process would probably be a bit scans. horrible. Yeah. yeah. They generally look pretty similar, but. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's always terrified there's going to be like a gaping Something hole in their, in their brain, head, but yeah. that, that doesn't really happen. So. <laughs> um, yeah, we and we can't kind of diagnose things like that. It's not that kind of a no. scan. So. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I'm just interested in the process of things. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, like, and what would you, if, if so I if, if I had not ever read The Moomins, yes. what would you, what would you recommend, like, to get me into The Moomins? Get a book. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would probably say so. The it's not actually the first book, but the first book that was kind of published in English is Finn Family Movement Troll, yeah. and that's one. Of, I think that's probably my favourite book anyway, and it has a nice introduction to who the movements are at the start, and they all have lots of pictures and read it or find someone I have I have read the Moomins to people find someone that will read it to you yeah and my partner hadn't read the Moomins and we read it like like a chapter each to each other and she okay she I've done this and I wasn't gonna say that because I was like yeah no, that's that's embarrassing but um wow yeah we have lots in common <laughs> so yeah yeah. Yes, I've I have also engaged in that kind of behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I think my recommendation for the Moomin stuff. I think my, the first book I read was Comet and Moominland, but I've, I mean that's not even the first book either. The first book was like the the Moomins and the Flood. I haven't I don't yeah, I haven't actually read that one because it's harder to it's find. It's really hard to get hold of because um, it wasn't translated for for. I don't, I'm, I'm sure it must be translated now, but yeah. it wasn't translated for quite a long time. Yeah. And that's the one where they come to Moomin Valley. That's right, that's where they find Moomin Valley. And, and then they find that, or they build the house, or they find right. the house and can't remember. That's right. 
Yeah, and yeah, Comet Mimilland appealed to me. Uh, probably appeals to me the most because it's just it's about an apocalyptic sort of moment. But then, well, spoiler alert: the world doesn't get destroyed. But uh, the the, the that, that sort of sense of this impending doom. I, I I don't know. I like that. That's probably why I do and I like stand up tragedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, um, it's been a pleasure getting, well, as you say, getting acquainted with you yeah. rather than getting better acquainted <laughs> with you today. The last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. <laughs> um, like goodbye, audience. Goodbye. <laughs> everybody, everybody's like everybody finds that. Like I think it's partly it's like you're suddenly aware of the audience. Yeah. And now I'm looking at that like, microphone yeah, like it's evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> so because I talked about it in the episode so much and happened to have a recording of it, I thought I would add a little extra to the end of this episode. What you're about to hear was recorded at Geek Show Off, which is run by Steve Cross, who you can find on Twitter at Steve underscore X. Geek Show Off is a spin-off from Science Show Off, who are always doing really excellent nights. So you should check them out at scienceshowoff.org. Something I've mentioned a couple of times in this episode is Stand Up Tragedy. Stand Up Tragedy is a night that I run. We've got a crowdfunding campaign going on, and so I thought this would be an excellent time to just mention that. Please go over to bit.ly forward slash tragic fringe and check out that campaign there's some great perks and we'd really appreciate you helping us to make some tragedies so go on over there have a look and consider funding it if you're a regular listener to gba then this is a great way for you to give back because this is a free podcast that i put out that's a good way of you stopping me from spending my own money that i don't have on artistic creation so here's me talking about the moomins at geek show earlier this year when i mention the moomin stories i always assume that people will know what i'm talking about because they were read to me when i was a child but they almost never do which is why i'm taking this opportunity to tell you all about them Uh, i can't possibly hope to cover everything about the moomins here because I mean, all I can hope to do is to provide you with enough reason to go and read the books yourselves, okay? Which I guess means showing you why they mean so much to me. Because I love the movement. Which makes this quite a nerve-wracking thing to do because I'm trying to make you love something that I love. So here goes. Uh, When Tove Janssen was a girl, she lost a philosophical argument about Immanuel Kant with one of her brothers and she drew the ugliest creature imaginable on the wall of their toilet and wrote under it Kant. This proto-moomin was thin and ugly with a long and narrow nose and devilish tail. So... She drew the ugliest creature she could imagine, but then she made him the hero and, most importantly, the heart of her stories. And he would become cuter and he would be surrounded by characters as simple and complex and beautiful as him. The figure of Moomin Troll first appeared in Janssen's 
political cartoons. So that's a, a political cartoon. Uh, it's not, not, again, not typical of the movements. There's not very many Nazis in the movements. But you can see down here by the bottom of the M, it was her signature. She used it as a signature. Then in 1945, her first Moomin novel came out. They are pretty much designed to be for children in theory, but they are not for children. They are for you uh, and me and everyone. <laughs> uh, the novels focus on the lives of the extended Moomin family, a family formed mostly from random chance and friendship rather than blood. Although at the center of the group is a family, Moomin Mama, Moomin Papa and Moomin Troll. Uh, so you can see the parents at the back. Moomin Troll is at the front. The books are peopled by strange and whimsical characters and they are set in and around Moomin Valley. Today, the Moomins are a global brand. They've been adapted into TV series and have fans across the world. You can go into Moomin shops and buy Moomin-branded mouse mats and coasters. Uh, you can follow Moomin Official on Twitter like I do. It's worth it. Uh, but it is a bit... No, they are trying to sell you stuff, so just ignore that stuff. The books remain personal, wise, and powerful. Uh, so this is Tova Janssen. Uh, she was born in 1914... Uh, into a tempestuous and bohemian family in Finland. She would grow up in a country trapped between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany and a world full of wars. Bombs would fall. Her brother would be enlisted. She would grow up in a country where her sexuality was illegal until 1971. And she was an artist and a writer of the kind that puts all of the things happening in her life into her work. The last book... Uh, of the Moomin series, Moomin Valley in November, even addresses the death of her mother through the existential poetry of Moominland. Many different characters come to Moomin Valley for various reasons, looking for the Moomins, only to find their house is empty. They move in and they live there together, hoping the Moomins will return. And in the end, it's ambiguous. The family are glimpsed far away on the sea in a boat. And we never know if they'll return. The books are full of love and safety, but they are also full of melancholy and philosophy. So why do I love the Moomins? Well, <laughs> here are some of the reasons, right? Okay, so I, I, this is just a slide to demonstrate what they're like. This is not actually relevant to what I'm going to be saying, so don't be distracted by that. I came from an eclectic, large and complex, non-familial often, family. The crucial difference between my family and the Moomins is the Moomins are functional. Uh, Frank Cottrell Boyce uh, has said that the, the Moomins' main theme is tolerance, and I, I, I would say it's a main theme. It's not the main theme, but it's a good one to, to reference here. Tove represented her home life and the home lives of people like it, but she made the darkness and the conflict safe. She isn't hiding it. She is processing it. So this is the Groke. Now, the Groke kind of represents death, kind of, um, but it says it's not the kind of death that we would normally be familiar with. Uh, as it says here, she didn't come to extinguish the fire, you see. She came to warm herself, poor creature. But everything that's warm goes cold when she sits down on it. Now she's disappointed once more. And that's too ticky about the, the grok in Moominland midwinter. And, and, and that's the thing. The, the Moomins make death 
someone who you don't make friends exactly with death uh, but you see death and you and then death becomes a character a character that feels things and this is one of the reasons i like the movements uh so uh this is another the other extreme this is little mai now little mai is like a living id uh so uh, as you can see there she's saying i'm little mai and i bite because i like it right uh, and here, and here she is. Uh, this is uh, this is the snort maiden talking to Mimble. Now, snort, snort ma- the snort maiden's kind of uh, a bit of a girly girl, I guess. Um, and she's saying to to the Mimble, "Can you keep a secret?" And little Maya is just like, "You know she can't, right?" Because that's what little Maya is. She is like <laughs> v- vicious desire and uh, truth, right? <laughs> she's excellent, but not quite as excellent as this guy. This is Snuffkin. So, <laughs> Snufkin's my favourite Moomin character, clearly. I-, I think that despite wanting to be Snufkin, though, uh, sadly, I'm more like Moomin Troll, but I want to be like Snufkin. Snufkin, he-, he-, he kind of... Well, here's an example. Here's, here's what he says to a character called Sniff in uh, Comet in Moominland. But that's how it is when you start wanting to have things. Now I just look at them, and when I go away, I carry them in my head. <laughs> then my hands are always free, because I don't have to carry a suitcase, right? This is what Snufkin is. He just moves around. The winter comes. He doesn't stay. He just goes. Goes somewhere else. And he just has his pipe and his backpack. Oh, I do love him. Uh, so I couldn't walk away uh, from the realities of my home life. Uh, but to paraphrase Tove's brother in the excellent BBC documentary, Moominland Tales, The Life of Tove Janssen, Tove couldn't walk away from her reality, but Snufkin could. He could play that role for me too. And that's what he is for me. The possibility of leaving. The possibility of not being tied down. But you can't always leave. And the books address that too. So this is Sorry Oo, right? Now Sorry Oo, he wants to be a wolf, right? But he is clearly a dog. And he talks all the way through the book, uh, Moomin and Midwinter. He's saying, I want to be a wolf. I want to be a wolf. And he, he, he's, he's like, I don't, I'm not like you. I should be wild. I should be with the wolves. And he goes off into the into the night, one night, and he goes up the hill and he uh, is surrounded suddenly by wolves and he can see their eyes in the darkness around him and he suddenly realises, shit, I'm not a wolf, I'm a dog, they're wolves, I'm going to die, right? Now, luckily, he's rescued by a hemulin, you know, as, as would happen in the children's story, but I think we can all, we, I, I, there's certainly many times when I thought, I'm a man, I want to be a man, I want to be a man, and then I'm surrounded by real men, and I'm like, fucking hell, I do not want to be a man. Uh, so, uh, ultimately, that's why I love the Moomin books, and I think you should read them. They have helped me to find better ways of approaching life, family, friendship, empathising with other people, understanding myself better. Moomins can enrich your life and help you to have a better understanding of the world. And this quote sums up the Moomins, what the Moomins are all about for me. August is the border between summer and autumn. It is the most beautiful month I know. Twilight is the border between day and night, and the shore is the border between sea and land. The border is longing, when both have fallen in love but still haven't said anything. The border is to be on the way. It is the way that is the most important thing. The way is the most important thing. And Tove Janssen said that. And I admire the Moomins and Tove Janssen so much. But 
as Snufkin says in Tales from Moomin Valley, you can't ever be really free if you admire somebody too much. And I'm never going to be free of the Moomin. Thank you very much. So that's me on the Moomins and Emma and me on the Moomins. So obviously my biggest plug ever would be for you to read some Moomins. But as an additional plug, don't forget to check out Stand Up Tragedy's crowdfunding campaign at bit.ly forward slash tragic fringe or go on over to our website and check out our podcast and the previous shows over there which is www.standuptragedy.co.uk and if you would like to come along to one of our live shows that's a good way of supporting us as well and having a great night while you do it our next one is at the dog star in brixton on the 12th of june where we've got a night dedicated to greek tragedy and on that bill, we've got some amazing performers, including Andy Zaltzman, Joss Norris, and The Helen Project. We've got some amazing spoken word, some hilarious comedy, and just a great night planned. Expect to cry, expect to laugh, expect to think. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's getting better acquainted have a search on facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on itunes and subscribing to us that way and on the stitcher smart radio app you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the app store there are lots of ways to get better acquainted